That's always a scary thought. So, uh, yeah, everyone okay this morning? Everyone, the good, good night's sleep? Everyone, uh, yeah, there we go. A little more activity there. It's all right. You're allowed to smile. You're allowed to cheer. You're allowed to do whatever you want to do just so I know you're alive. Um, a couple of years ago, we had the opportunity to go back to uh, Georgia. We've got some friends who live back there, and, and it was kind of a dual purpose. There was a conference that was going on, and there were people from all over the country who were there. And it happened to take place on this farm, and this Georgia farmer had a beautiful uh, plantation back there, and uh, he was explaining to us where his boundaries were on the farm. So as we were standing there, he was trying to point out what was basically his property and what wasn't his property or where his started and where it stopped. So he was going through and he says, our property line begins right over here. He goes, and if you go all along the perimeter, you can go out to the end. And if you see that brook over there and where the trees are, that's the end of our property. And if you go over this way and you can see just a little rolling hill over there, we go to the base of that hill and then we come all the way back over this way and you can almost see the fence of the other farm over there and then we bring it back in this way. Well, as is always the case when you're in a situation like this, you got people from all over the country. Unfortunately, there was someone from Texas that was also in the group. And, um, and uh, one of the things that Texans have become very famous for is their obnoxious, arrogant uh, mannerisms. And um, now, obviously, there's no one here that's from Texas. I hope. Just Orange County, yeah. And we're, we're, we're catching up with them rapidly, by the way. But... But anyway, so with, with this Texan, so this Texan was trying to explain, well, well, you know, that's nice, but you should see our property. He goes, we get in our pickup truck in the morning, and we drive out along the perimeter, and we drive, and we drive, and we drive, and we drive. Then we stop for lunch, and we have lunch. And we get back in our pickup, and then we drive, and we drive, and we drive, and we drive. And then we stop for dinner, and then we have dinner. And then we get back in our pickup and we drive and we drive and we drive and we drive and we drive. Then it gets not dark, so we put on our lights and we drive and we drive and we drive and we drive. And then we come on back. He goes, that's how big our property is. And the Georgian was a, a, a southern gentleman. He thought about it for a second. He said, yep, I used to have an old pickup truck like that once too. <laughs> That was nice. That was nice. That's a good way to put it. You know, and I thought about that story in light of what we've been talking about, and that is that the value of wisdom helps us to see life from a little different vantage point than we're used to seeing it. Just a little bit of different twist, just a little catch, just something that's different than how the majority of people would see something. God says that there's a value to godly wisdom that we can't generate on our own that it's basically a gift from God. It's a miracle of God that transforms a mind that sees things certain way, like the majority of people, and allows us to now see from a very narrow perspective. You know, if you've ever been accused of being narrow-minded, don't take that personal. We'll talk a little bit about that. Like, how many of you enjoy being criticized? <laughs> if you enjoy being criticized, um, then you're a very uh, rare person indeed. But if you hate criticism, then when this, you got to pay attention this morning because this is going to be good. This is going to be good for you. This is going to be life-changing. If you hate criticism and it gets under your skin real easy, then this session is for you. But anyway, if you've ever been accused of being narrow-minded, that's okay. Because there's nothing more narrow than the gospel. Jesus said that you got to enter by the narrow gate because the road to destruction is broad. And the gate to eternal life is very narrow and few go through it. See, Christianity is a very narrow perspective. There isn't a lot of room for everybody's opinion and everybody's way of doing it. God says there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. 
That's it in a nutshell. And so we end up, as we come to know Jesus, we end up with a very narrow perspective on life. We should. If we don't, we haven't been transformed by the renewing of our mind, even though positionally we may be okay in Christ. There may be a spot reserved for you in heaven, but it isn't doing you a whole lot of earthly good because you need to have a transformation as far as God's wisdom that now you begin to place in your life. Here's what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said about wisdom. And I think this is the key, and this is what we need to grasp onto. This is what he said wisdom is. He said, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. It says, to know is not to be wise. And we see that in the life of Solomon. Solomon had great knowledge, but there were times in his life he had no wisdom. It said, to know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. To know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. See, here is our problem. You want it in a nutshell? You can spend all the time in the world reading this book. You can listen to all the greatest preachers, teachers, pastors, speakers. You can listen to every tape you want to listen to. You can dial in any Christian radio station you want. You can listen to it nonstop 24 hours a day. We do not have a problem with access to good information. We don't have a problem with knowledge. We have a problem with wisdom. We get bombarded with knowledge. The greatest fear that I have is that we are so full of knowledge, but we have no wisdom. Hopefully, I'm doing my role. My role is to present you with God's knowledge. Your responsibility, as you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, is to apply this knowledge, which means you've gained wisdom. If you make no application, you have no wisdom. All you are is a greater fool who has more knowledge. I can't get any clearer than that, and I know that doesn't bless a lot of you early in the morning. We got thrusted into an hour, you know, a new dimension. Uh, it's another twilight zone. And you've been thrust into it, and then you've got to get racked with stuff like this. But that's the bottom line. The value of wisdom is that you are able to apply the knowledge that you've gained. Does that make any sense at all? Okay, so that puts a lot of responsibility on each one of us. As you learn, so must you do. If you do not do, you're as great or greater a fool than you were when you came in here this morning. So we all know what a fool you were when you walked in. We're not sure how deep of a fool you are. You can prove it by leaving here today and never applying a thing that you learn. You're even a greater fool than we thought you were this morning. And that's a scary thought. So stop and think about it for a second. Do you want to be more foolish after you leave here than you were when you came in. That's your choice. Isn't that wonderful? What a challenge that is. You know, when you stop and think about it, oh, don't want to be dumber when I leave than when I came in. And the people that brought you said, please, Lord, don't let him be any dumber than he is. <laughs> Help him see this. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. The value of wisdom. Being able to apply knowledge. The value of wisdom. We'll pick it up at verse 15. That's where we left off. Is everyone okay this morning? You all okay? I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you. Is there, is there a doctor in the house just in case? An optometrist? And we got, oh, we got an optometrist. That's good. Is anyone having a problem seeing the overheads? We've got that taken care of. 
Anybody having problems sitting uh, back bothering you, Dick? Can you take, take care of that? You know what? There's no reason not to be comfortable in here now that I stop and think about it. We got an optometrist who'll take care of your eyes. We got a chiropractor who'll crack your bones back into place. And uh, what I need is a school principal, somebody like that, administrator. If you're not paying attention, I need to send you to somebody. That's what we need to do. Verse 15, are you ready? The value of wisdom, as Solomon saw it. He says, I've seen everything during my lifetime of futility. Oh, good. No, there's a dentist is upset because I didn't say we got a dentist in the crowd now. He's talking, he's talking, he's going, he's turning around talking to everybody. While you're all reading your Bible, he's going, well, how's he going to say anything about me? Because I've heard from people who have visited you. That's uh, probably why. Oh, oh, good. And then we got a shrink in the corner. Oh, my goodness. Just give me your cards later. We'll give you a little overhead next week. You can buy, you can buy a slot up front. We can get the kitty built back up in here again. And, uh, oh, and we do have an attorney. He's lying on the floor in the back. I, I have, just kidding, just kidding. He, he actually is a friend of mine. I have, that's the only reason I said that. I have seen, I've seen everything during my lifetime of futility, and I can relate to that as I look out here this morning. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Do not be excessively righteous, and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Do not be excessively wicked, and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Also, do not take seriously all words which are spoken, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. I tested all this with wisdom, and I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? I directed my mind to know, to investigate, to seek wisdom and an explanation, and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. And I discovered more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Behold, I have discovered this as the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation which I am still seeking but have not found. I have found one man among a thousand, but I have not found a woman among all these. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they sought out many devices. Who is like the wise man and knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. Let's ask God to kind of wake us up and bless our time this morning. Father, we just ask you this morning just to kind of take each one of us, shake the cobwebs out, just to open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say. Not for the sake of gaining necessarily more knowledge, but to awaken us and quicken our spirit that we may begin to apply what we learn. Give us the wisdom that only comes from above, godly wisdom, that we can apply it in our lives. And we just thank you for the changes that will be made and the changes that will come to bring glory to you. And we just praise you in Christ's name. Amen.
as we've been going through this, Solomon in the first section, he began to show us the value of wisdom. And basically, we looked at three things. First of all, we saw that wisdom evaluates life circumstances from God's point of view. The first ten verses show us that there are things that are better than what we're used to seeing. And if you go down through it and underline it, you go through it, it says a good name is better than good ointment. It's better to be good on the inside than to smell good on the outside, to be pleasing to God in our character than to dress well, to look good, to smell good, and to worry about the external. Let's start worrying about the character of our life. Let's start worrying about our integrity and our honesty and who we are before men and not so much what we look like and spend a little more time working on our character. He says it's better to do that, not that it's bad to smell good. And all the people around you say amen. And it's better to go, he says also, to the house of mourning. He says it's better than the day of, of birth is the day of one's death is the second thing. It's better to die than it is to be born. Because the day of our death for those who have put our faith and trust in Christ is the day that will be ushered before the presence of an almighty and loving God. It's going to be a wonderful day. He says it's better. Not it's not bad to be born. It's good to be born because you got to be born first so you can be born again. And so he says it's better to die. It's better to go to a house of mourning, to the house of feasting. It's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. Our world lives to go to parties. Not very many people live to go to funerals. And he says the reason for it is because the living takes it to heart. It begins to deal with us on an eternal basis rather than just dealing with the temporary. Parties are great, but it sure is a lot better to go to a funeral. You learn a lot more. See, and this takes godly wisdom. This is no way you can ever convince somebody of the truth of this. It has to come from God. He says, it's better, sorrow is better than laughter. And it goes along with the previous thought. It's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than to listen to the fools or the song of fools. It's better to hear what God has to say than to hear people stroking you, telling you what you want to hear because that's what you want to hear and there's no growth that comes of it. The, the, uh, the, the rebuke of the Word of God, the correction, the teaching, the training of the Word of God is always going to be better than hearing somebody telling you what you want them to tell you. There's no growth that comes in that, and there's no wisdom also. The song of fools is those who don't believe in God and don't believe in His wisdom. They're going to tell you whatever you want to hear. They'll play the game. You never know what you're hearing from them. You're hearing what you want to hear. God says, hey, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you the truth, and the truth will set you free, and it's always better in the long run. He said that uh, it's also in, in verse uh, 8, says the end of a matter is better than its beginning. You always learn more after the fact than you do in the beginning of something. You can look back and say, oh, man, I learned a lot from that. I might not have enjoyed going through it. I may have missed a lot of it in the process. But as I look back on it, hindsight's always 20-20, and it sure is good to learn what I learned. And he says that patience is better than haughtiness of spirit. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. So also he said that wisdom exceeds the advantages of worldly possession and security in verse 11 and 12. Money's okay. Nothing wrong with money. But money without wisdom is a major problem. It'll ruin your life quicker than anything else. He said, you got godly wisdom, and he blesses you financially, and he gives you resources. Man, you know what? It's good stuff. Inheritance is good if you got godly wisdom. If you have the means to apply what God's teaching. If you don't, you're in big trouble. He said, wisdom encourages our dependency upon God. If you look at verses 13 and 14. He said, hey, stop for a moment and consider the work of God. Well, just stop and think about him for a little bit. Think about what he's doing in your life. And you'll also be able to understand you can't change a thing that he does. So you might as well go with the flow and you might as well learn what you can out of it because you can't change your circumstances. If you've caused it, repent, stop doing it, and you can change it. If you didn't cause it and it's a trial that God has placed in your life and you fall into it, he's trying to teach you something and you're going to learn from it and you'll be stretched spiritually. 
So, so don't try to change it. Enjoy it. Have a good time. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, and endurance has its perfect work, which is patience, and you learn from it. That's good stuff. So he also says that, you know what, the days of prosperity be happy, and the days of adversity, just remember, God's made them both. God's made them both. See, wisdom is the application of the knowledge that you're getting from the Word of God. Going through a tough time? Enjoy it. That's the, that's the wise part. That's wisdom. You know that you're supposed to, but do you do it? That's wisdom. So he goes through it and he begins to share with us now in this particular section, he has uh, four more uh, advantages that he sees to having godly wisdom in our life. And number four is wisdom exhorts us to avoid extremes by remembering our accountability to God. Look what he says in verse 15 and see if you can't identify with this and see if this isn't true. He says, I've seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Have you ever been to that point? You know what he's saying? He goes, man, you know what? I have seen it all. If you haven't said that yet, you haven't lived long enough, but the older that you get, the easier it is to say that. It's kind of like, man, I, you know, the older people always say, they say, man, you know what? <laughs> now, it's like this, now... I've seen it all. Now I've seen it all. It's like, man, I thought I saw it all, but now I know I've seen it all. And see, look what he's saying is that, you know what? Why is it that good people seem to die young? Good people seem to end up being taken advantage of. And scumball, cheeseball, creepos <laughs> seem to get away with it. I don't know, whatever you put in your own ter terminology. But the cheeseballs seem to be getting away with all kind of stuff in this world. Isn't that the way you see it? Man, this guy, you know, he's honest, he's fair, he works hard, and it's a shame to see him go through bankruptcy. This guy's a lying, cheat, scoundrel, cheese ball, creep, and man, it just seems like he's prospering. You know what Solomon said? I've seen it all. I have seen it all. And you know what? And this is a, a common theme. Turn back to chapter 3. Look at verse 16. I mean, this is something that really bothers Solomon. And guess what? It should bother all of us. And if it doesn't, you're not paying attention. Because God's promised all these wonderful things to his people. And then you see people who are out there, they're lying scoundrels, they're getting away with murder. And you see good people who are being taken advantage of. And Solomon's saying, man, I've seen it all. Verse 16, chapter 3, he says, Furthermore, I've seen under the sun that in the place of justice there's wickedness. In the place of righteousness there's wickedness. Chapter 4, verse 1. He said, you know what? That bothered me so much I had to take another look at it. I looked at it again. And all the acts of oppression which are done under the sun. Man, I saw the tears of the oppressed and no one was there to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. Man, I, I'm just looking at this over and over again. And you know what? What he's saying is, it could change your attitude. It could cause you a problem. And the problem is this. There's two of them, is what he's talking about in, in verse 16 and 17. There's two problems that he saw in this section. Problem number one, think about it for a second. When you see good people being taken advantage of you, there's a temptation to do what? To do what? To get even? Maybe to get even with them, which is one temptation to do evil. But what about 
how many of you have ever been tempted? You see somebody who's doing something maybe illegally, immorally, unethically. They seem to be getting away with it. How many of you are tempted to do the same thing? Ever been tempted to do the same thing? Okay, that's one temptation. Now, how many of you are tempted to say, look at that cheese ball. I'm not like her. I'm pretty good. Or him, in your case. <laughs> he said, you know, you know, I, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. I'm pretty good. You ever say that? I'm pretty good. And look what's happening to me. I'm doing all the right things you tell me to do. And all this bad stuff's happening to me. And cheese ball, cheese ball is getting away with it. You know what Solomon said? The temptation's there to do that. Kind of, you know, crying your beer, so to speak. Of course, if you drank beer. <laughs> and just cry about it. You know what Solomon said? Hey, you know what? Next time you're tempted to look around you and you see what seems like injustice, which it is from the outside, you're, you see, you're seeing things again like the majority of people. You've got to see things like God sees it. So Solomon says, you know what you're going to be tempted to do? Number one, you're going to be tempted to feel sorry for yourself. And say, oh, why is this happening to me? Or to go, boy, you know what? And I'm so good. Look what I'm doing for you, God. You know, if I get upset with you and I start doing what they're doing, you're going to lose a great servant. <laughs> there. So you know what Solomon says? Hey, don't get, don't, do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise. For why should you ruin yourself? Why should you ruin yourself? You know what the first problem that he saw was? There's a certain pride of the righteous that isn't the righteousness of God, but it becomes our own manufactured righteousness. God, ain't I great? God, isn't that cheese ball, cheese ball? You see, do you ever fall into that? Start pointing fingers? We all do. I mean, that's why it's here. We all have a tendency to do that. I mean, this isn't, you know, just to lay some guilt trip on a couple of dozen people in here. This is to lay a guilt trip on everybody. <laughs> that's the way it works. And he says, hey, you know what? That's the way it is. He warns against this extreme. There's two extremes. The first extreme is thinking too highly of yourself than you ought to think. You think you're okay. You think that you're good. You think that you're like Elijah. There's no other righteous person on the face of the earth. God looks like it's me and you against the world. How are we going to do it? Man, we think a lot of ourselves sometimes when we should. And uh, Proverbs 16, 18 says that pride goes before destruction. Galatians 6, 1 says, hey, uh, if you see a brother sinning, you who are spiritual, go and restore such a one in all gentleness, lest you too be tempted in the same thing. There's a certain righteousness that we get that we're above and beyond certain activities. We see a cheese ball doing something that they're doing and we say, hey, I'll never do that. I could never do that. You know what the Bible says? <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can. And as soon as you say you won't, you will. That's the warning of the Bible. That's what the Bible says. James 1, 13 through 15 says it's our own lusts which cause us to sin. It's an internal matter. What that cheese ball is doing, you may not do. Maybe that isn't what entices you. But there's other things that will entice you that you'll do that that cheese ball would never think about doing. 
So we all have a problem. If we could go down through and we just ask each person, we'll go row by row, what's the thing that entices you? There's a little chink in your armor. There's one little thing that Satan knows that you have a problem with. And that's the thing that over and over and over and over again, he keeps on going after. And the moment you say, it'll never happen to you in that area of your life, get ready. Oh, hell's going to break loose against you in that area, and it's going to happen. You and I are capable of anything, is what the Bible teaches. And as soon as you know that, the quicker you learn that, the more wise you'll be on how you live your life. That's knowledge from the Word of God. The wisdom is whether you apply it to your life or not. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian, and he loved Jesus Christ, was hanged on April 9, 1945. He was 39 years old. The SS, the Nazis, hung him. And uh, one of the books that he wrote was a manuscript called Temptation. This is what he wrote. Godly man. So in our members, in our bodies, there is a slumbering inclination towards desire which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. All at once. A secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and it is in flames. It makes no difference whether it's a sexual desire or ambition, or vanity or desire for revenge, or love of fame and power, or greed for money, or finally that strange desire for the beauty of the world, of nature. Joy in God is extinguished in us and we seek all our joy in the creature. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality and only desire for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. So Satan does not, does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. And now his falsehood is added to this proof of strength. The lust that thus aroused en en envelopes the mind and will of man in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. The question presents themselves, is what the flesh desires really sin in this case? Is it really sin? Is it not really not permitted to me, yes, expected of me now here in my particular situation to appease my desires? I mean, it's not sin. It can't be sin. I have this desire. Why would God give me this desire? If I got this desire, I, you know, it must be God-given, so it must be okay to do what I want to do. So the tempter puts me in a privileged position as he tried to put the hungry Son of God in a privileged position. I boast of my privilege against God. It is here that everything within me rises up against the Word of God. See, what he realized is that he's capable of doing anything. Godly man, wise man, understood this perspective. Understood that wisdom would keep him from that extreme of feeling too good about himself. Of boasting in who he was. You know, it's interesting. This week, this week we're going to have our 15th wedding anniversary. No applause. But, you know, I was thinking about it because it's easy to get a little arrogant in your accomplishments. It's like, are we something or what? <laughs> 15 years, you know, and in and, and, and this day and age yet, isn't that something? Man, that's something. And you begin to be a little arrogant about it as if somehow you accomplished it. And maybe that's not what you're arrogant about. Maybe you've accomplished something in business. Maybe you've got a real nice house. You drive a fine car. You, you wear some fancy threads. You know, you're feeling pretty good about yourself, your achievements, salesman of the word, year award. You, know, you, just, you won a Nobel Peace Prize. I don't know, whoever's in here. But you know, you're feeling pretty good about what you just did. And uh, you know, it's real easy to get that way, to have this sense of self-righteousness that, man, I'm really something special. 
And the Bible over and over and over again tells us that wisdom helps us to avoid that extreme by remembering our accountability before God. You and I are who we are because of the grace of God. You and I accomplish what we accomplish because God's seen fit to allow us to do that. We're married 15 years because it's a, it's a miracle of God. It's the grace of God. Amen is right. And I agree with you on that one. That's the truth. And not because of anything we did, not because we're better than anybody who hasn't been married that long or can't make it that long. That's stupid to say that. We've been married 15 years by the grace of God and nothing short of that. It's a miracle. You, you have done what you've done by the grace of God and nothing else. It's nothing short of that. See, that's what Solomon's trying to tell us is that Proverbs 3, 7, and 8, he writes again, he says, Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Man, you want to refresh your bones a little bit? Stop thinking too highly of yourself. You're not that big a deal. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be humble of humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Romans 12, 3, and I love this. Listen to this. He says, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. You know what that sound judgment is? I don't mean to burst your bubble. You might have, a good, you might have had a good week. You may have done a lot of neat things. You may be feeling pretty good about it. And that's okay. But remember to give the credit to God. He did it. He did it. And you have the choice to take credit for it yourself or to give him the honor and the glory. See, <laughs> and, and no one likes to hear this. I know that. You're sitting there going, I don't like to hear this. I'd rather hear one of those, I'm okay, you're okay type of sermons. I, I like those. You know, we're all good and we're all doing a wonderful thing. And our, isn't the world grateful to have us around? But the truth of it is that you're not all right and I'm not all right, but we're okay in Jesus Christ. That's the truth. And you know what? And we're all replaceable in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. You think you're something special. If you died today, I bet your world would get along quite well without you tomorrow. If you were a good steward, if you took care of your family, if you did the things you were supposed to be doing, you just, they'd move on without, without missing a heartbeat. That's what we're supposed to do. Do you realize you're supposed to prepare the world for your imminent demise, the people around you? If you have a business, you should be prepared for the day the guy calls you home. You should be training people to replace one another. That's a constant process because none of us are sure of the future. And so God's trying to remind us on a regular basis that, hey, this may be it for you. You may be checking out today. You know, have your bags packed. You may be ready to go. Don't think too highly of yourself because you're just one away from being God and thrust before the presence of God. Isn't that a wonderful thought? If you have wisdom, it is. If you have wisdom, it is. If you don't, it's a scary thought. God is sovereign, whether you understand it or not, and you're in the position you're in because he's put you there. Not only just people, but nations and boundaries and everything that's going on around us is in place because God has chosen to do it. And don't ever forget it. What Solomon's warning about is there's an extreme that we see when we look at the world around us. Hey, the wicked are getting away with it. Good people are dying young. I'm just going to go along and either say, hey, I'm pretty good. God, why aren't you doing things the way that I think you should be doing them? And he says, because I'm going to do things the way that I want to do them. And you either go along with it or you don't. And if you do, you have wisdom. If you don't, you're full. And if you leave today, 
handling life the same way you came in, you're even a greater fool. Second thing is, he said there's the presumption of the, of the wicked. Don't be excessively wicked and don't be a fool. He goes through and just says, man, you know what? The problem is that when you see people doing what's wrong, you have a tendency, because of sin nature, to do the same thing. I'm going to do the same thing. It's just not working. The, the business is going, it's tough. Relationship, it's tough. I can't, I can't do things God's way, and I see people doing it another way, and it seems like it's working from the outside, so I'm going to do the same thing. And God's saying, man, there is a presumption on the part of those who are wicked that they're going to get away with their wickedness. But the Bible says, Psalm 55, 23 says, Deceitful men shall not live out half the days of their lives, but I will trust in you. I'm not going to fall to this. Wisdom enables, exhorts us to avoid extremes by remembering our accountability to God. You and I are accountable to God individually. And the day that you understand that is going to be the greatest day of beginning in your spiritual life. You can't blame anybody else but yourself. Your spouse isn't living up to your expectations. That's too bad. Then you pray for him or her. You do what you're supposed to do because you're individually accountable before God. There are no excuses. We can't blame one another for our behavior as we choose to do something that's wrong before God. It's not working in business. Man, you know, i got to cheat. Hey, you're accountable before God. I don't care what's going on around you. It doesn't matter. See, the presumption is that we're going to fall into that and become just like everybody else. Wisdom provides balance. Look what he says in verse 18. It is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other, for the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. They've got it in balance. They've got a handle on it. Okay? Kind of review what we just talked about. You see things going on around you that don't seem to be fair. That's too bad. That's too bad. Doesn't give you an excuse to think more highly of yourself than you should. And the second thing is it doesn't give you an excuse to do what's wrong before God. And the bottom line of all of it is that you trust God that his program's right. God, I don't understand it. Well, that's okay. It's not a prerequisite for trust. It's not a prerequisite for trust. You just trust them. So Solomon goes on and he gives us a fifth thing that he says wisdom is. And this one, I love this one. We're going to spend some time on this one. What time we have left. Wisdom excels the advice of others. Excels the advice of others. Are you ready for this? Listen to this, verse 19. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Also, do not take seriously all words which are spoken, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. Are you ready for this? Godly wisdom is better than the wisdom of other people. Godly wisdom is better than the wisdom of other people. Can I ask you a question? When you're going to make a decision, how do you go about making a decision? Man, you got this decision you're going to make. you got to come up with a, a, some answer for it. How do you make that decision? How do you make it? Anybody? Yeah, this is not rhetorical. This is actually a... Okay, you pray about it. You get counsel. From who? Friends, pastors... Uh, maybe people that are in a business, uh, neighbors, whatever. I mean, you, you seek the counsel of other people. 
And, you know, and we can't misunderstand that there is a safety in a multitude of counselors. That's what the Bible teaches. We have to do that. We need to seek counsel. Now listen to this. See how this all ties together? If you have the pride of the righteous, self-righteous pride, you will have a tendency not to seek counsel of other people. Why? Because they're not as smart as you. The only problem is you're the only one who thinks that. Okay, let us sink in for a second. You won't look for counsel from other people. Am I right or wrong? Now, if you're open and teachable and you're humble, humble yourselves before the, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in the proper time. If you can humble yourself, go to somebody and say, look, here's what I'm struggling with. I need, to, I need just to talk to you for a second. They don't have to phrase it. I need some godly counsel. Then you've got to be careful of the person that you go to. See, if you just need counsel, you can go to anybody. I need some help. Okay, now you're open to listen. All right, you, you listening here? You listening? I know some of you aren't, but that's okay. You're the ones that got it all down, so don't worry about it. Now, you go to somebody and you're looking for counsel. You got it? Here's the problem with counsel. Solomon says this, it is better, it is better to get the counsel, to have wisdom, godly counsel, than to get the advice from other people. Look at verse 19. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers through in a city. Josephus said ten rulers of a city was the town council. They were supposed to be the wisest people in the town. They're the ones that made all of the policy and set the procedure. They were the wisest people. You know what God says? That godly wisdom is better than going to the ten wisest people that you know. Do you know why? <laughs> because the ability of others is affected by sin. The ability of others is affected by sin. Okay, listen to this. It says, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Problem. We're out of time. But that's good, because we'll leave you hanging. I mean, just leave you hanging with this question. Do you believe, listen to me, because this is your homework for this week. Do you believe that you could go to somebody for counsel, a godly person for counsel, and them give you ungodly counsel? Do you believe that? Do you believe you can go to godly people for counsel and then give you counsel that is as ungodly as anything else? Okay, now we got a problem. Because we're encouraged, there is safety in a multitude of counselors. You see, here's the dilemma we're going to struggle with. And this is what we'll deal with next week. You've got to go to somebody for counsel. The person you go to doesn't necessarily mean that what they tell you is going to be godly counsel. So you've got to discern whether what they told you is of God or of that person. Now flip it around. A person comes to you for counsel, and now you've got to be careful that your motive in what you're telling them is from God and not from yourself. You follow what kind of problem we're going to have to deal with next week? But it's one that every one of us deal with on an ongoing basis. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about the second problem, and that is that if you are prone to criticism, and you wear your heart on your sleeve, 
and you worry about what everything everybody's saying, and you try to second guess what they meant by what they said, and you try to figure it all out, then you are living a life that's just tormented, and you're living in anguish. Solomon has something to help you on as far as wisdom. You wear your heart on your sleeve, Solomon's got great advice for you and great advice for all of us who need counsel and who give counsel. But just kind of summarizing what we learned today. Number one is, don't think too highly of yourself than you ought to think. When things are going bad all around you, just praise the Lord. When things are going good around you, praise the Lord. Don't be tempted to do what's evil before God because you see people around you who you think are getting away with it because the Bible says that one day God will judge them for what they've done. Whether we ever see it here on earth or not, it doesn't really matter. The Word of God is true. Don't be tempted to do evil and don't be tempted to think that you're some hot stuff because you're not. But praise God and trust Him in everything. Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank You for, number one, just thank You for the knowledge that You've given us today about who we are, and the only reason we're special is because of Jesus Christ. Help us never to forget it. Help us in every accomplishment, every achievement, everything that we ever do. Help us to be able to see that it's only by your grace, the grace of God, that we've been able to do what we did. And when we realize it, it's amazing when we realize that how often it is that we're open to give you praise and credit. In the absolute miracles of our life, it's so easy to give you praise and credit for who you are and what you've done. And yet it's so funny, on the other hand, all these other things that we seem to be able to take credit for, that the Bible teaches us that you're actively involved in those as well. And that you desire the same thing, of the miracles in our life and then the subtle things that you do, that you desire that we give you praise and glory for all of it. That people can see that you're alive, that you're well, that you're actively involved in the lives of each one of us so you can draw a dying and hurting world to your son. And the second thing, Lord, is please help us get to the point and convict us not to sin because we, we see things around us. It seems like people are getting away with it. God, help us to never fall trapped to the wisdom of the world, but to have a godly perspective. That as we take these things that we learned today, you'll give us the wisdom to apply it. And right now we're struggling with some things. We're struggling with decisions to do things God's way or our way. God, give us the wisdom to apply this knowledge. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.